Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It was a foul. And, you know, he turned his body. That's, that's a quick, that's an automatic foul. That's, that's the call. And, you know, obviously th- my reaction, you don't react like that t- typically to any foul. Um, in that case, I, I saw Trey take a shot to his quad, and I was concerned about his knee, frankly. Um, you know, and then he was on the ground, and I, I was worried that he was hurt. Um, so I probably deserved the technical, although that was the rationale. I, I don't know why the second one came as quickly as it did. You know, typically you get one like that, there's some level of understanding. My player's on the ground and could be hurt. Um, so, it, it, uh, like I said, you know, my, my reaction was certainly an emotional one, and that was the reason why. Um, but, you know, you see it on the film, it's clearly contact. Um, so. Welcome to Hawks Fans, your boy Russell is back at it again for another Believe in Hawks episode as we come back from the all-star break. Hawks play against the Toronto Raptors tonight and lose 123 to 121. We're gonna go ahead and get into the breakdown of the game. And this game was a bit of a wild one, as I would think a lot of people would say. Hawks started the game poorly. Uh Quinn Snyder had used two timeouts in the first six minutes of the game. They were down 20 to 7 after the first timeout or the second timeout. And they just were not making shots. Everybody was missing. It was one of those things where was it rust? Was the team potentially trying to knock off the rust? You always hear it all the time. You don't play for a long time. That can ruin the rhythm offensively. Now you can make an argument the team didn't look that much differently even in that stretch because they've had stretches of just being not good at starting games. So you can't say this is new, but you could tell like, okay, this team isn't making shots early. Toronto was. They just played last night. This was the second of a back-to-back for them, so they were able to get the rhythm back last night. And so tonight they came out, like I said, strong, and obviously that meant the Hawks had to fight back. The Hawks had to, you know, basically go uphill climb and try to get back into the game, which they were able to successfully do into the second quarter. We were able to get back into the game, and they got actually, I think, within one. Or they actually just took the lead, and this is where then this next event happened in the game, where Quinn Snyder was ejected from the game after Jacob uh, Acaportal or Portal, whatever, um, hip checked Trey Young off a screen. He basically hit checked him. Trey was down for a little bit. Obviously, the concern there is you know, your star player is hurt. Hope this isn't serious. Hope he's not going to be out. Trey stayed in the game. He was just down for a second, but Quinn Snyder was furious. Quinn Snyder was upset, went after the referee, got ejected quickly. But, I mean, it was one of those things that you really enjoyed seeing from a perspective of, like, you just want to see your coaches fight for your players. Obviously, especially in a situation where it could have potentially hurt one of your players, especially your star player. And Quinn Snyder was just, you know, he was he was, he was pissed off about it, and, and he went after him, and he was ejected for it, right? So, obviously, Toronto got two technical free throws out of that, took the lead back and everything. But then just a short time after that, DeAndre Hunter got teed up because he got mad about a call that they called on him as well. So you could tell for that stretch of time, Hawks were very frustrated with officiating tonight. Officiating was not great. Usually NBA officiating seems like on a lot of nights, 
or just okay, but not the best. Tonight was definitely a night where the, where the um, officiating crew was very inconsistent, and you could see that in the play calls and in the way they play called the game. So that obviously is very frustrating for a player. I mean, I think one of the most frustrating things for any NBA player, NBA team is not getting consistency from referees. Obviously, like they say, when you have different referee crews that come in for your games, you kind of have these scouting reports on, okay, who are the referees tonight? Are they more lenient? Are they, do they call everything? How did it, what do they call? Are they more on top of touch fouls? Are they more on top of just, you know, if you drive into the paint, don't call that. Are they, are they very like, we'll let them play. We'll let you be more physical. So then you know how you should play, what your play style should be for that said game, depending on who your referee crew is. Tonight, like I said, inconsistency didn't happen, and the Hawks got teed up because of it um, tonight. So, not ideal, but you know it happened. So, but overall, ending the second quarter, Hawks able to get back within one point. Right, second half, Hawks took the lead early. Toronto took the lead back, and pretty much for the rest of the game, held on to win to beat the Hawks. Hawks had a chance at the end. Igor uh, was the new coach. When Quinn came out, he had an opportunity to challenge a play on DeJounte Murray where it looked like he might have not stepped out. I know everybody's kind of split on that. Some say he did. Some say he didn't. And even if he did, some people say in that situation, you usually see NBA coaches going ahead and making the challenge, just going ahead and, you know, you know, we have nothing to lose there. I mean, you're, you're down three. You need you, – you, if, if, if that call – is overturned, you get the ball back with a chance to tie the game, and instead he opted to not challenge. You're under the 24 second, so you don't have a shot clock. So basically it's a foul game at that point. And, you know, maybe he just wanted to keep the timeout the Hawks had. I don't know. Obviously, I think a lot of people agreed probably should have just challenged it anyway. Didn't. So, but at the end of the day, Toronto got a run out three, uh, dunk to basically seal the game. Trey hit a three right as time expired. To bring it within two, but it was over. Uh, and then Hawks, like I said, ended up losing that game. Jonte uh, Murray had a good game tonight, was aggressive offensively um, tonight, did what he needed to do out there. You know, um, you got great contribution from your bench tonight. Um, Bruno Fernando with 12 points off the bench. I mean, you know, he only played 11 minutes tonight, which is which is interesting that, that, that they didn't play him a lot tonight with only him and Capella being the true centers tonight with Capella coming back. They did. They did play Jalen at the the center positions. So I and I get why they may want to go to that, but I was surprised, especially after I after having a ten point first half. I would think that maybe would have established more confidence in Bruno to get more minutes. I mean, that's what they wanted to go with. I mean, at that point, it was e- Igor's decision. So I mean, this is what Igor wanted to do. Uh, don't know if Quinn would have did the same thing, right? Um, DeAndre Hunter continues to impress off the bench, 25 minutes, 22 points. You know, I've said it before, Quinn Snyder has figured out within the system how to use DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter, I think, is staking better, processing better. Like I said, this man, even though he didn't have a great three-point shooting night tonight, he's been shooting great from three. He pretty much, you know, has really... It, it seems like the fact that they've kept him on the bench after the All-Star break, it seems like that maybe where they keep him for the rest of the season. Uh, and then we'll see going into the offseason, they'll obviously they'll reevaluate should we consider moving DeAndre back into the starting lineup. Do you potentially keep him on the bench next year too? Or like I said, if they decide to move him, trade him potentially, that's obviously also an option. 
Hunt, uh, Bogey didn't really have a great night tonight. Had 14 off the bench, but not really hit most sufficient shooting night. Five of 17 from the field. Um, he actually was tied for the highest plus minus in this game with Jalen Johnson with seven uh, in the plus. So, you know, there's that. Uh, Jalen had 12 and 12 tonight. Uh, I think they could have went to him a little bit more in this game. Uh, I know he was 6 of 13, but, you know, in the second half, one of the reasons why they were to get, to get the lead basically or get the cut Toronto's lead to one was basically because they started using Jalen a lot down the stretch of the second quarter. And they were able to use him effectively. Kind of, He was kind of basically being the connector. As I like to say, sometimes he was the connector on offense. You know, we had the, the the finger roll and one, you know, and, and everything. And he and he was just and he was also making passes. He and he was also pushing the ball more on breaks. Clearly saw that was look. I felt like there was times during the first half of the season they he would get a rebound, just immediately go to Trey or immediately go to DeJounte. Tonight it seemed like he was willing to push those breaks and he was willing to you know go full throttle ahead and everything like that. And and, and like I said, he only had 12 and 12. And I think the biggest thing from Jalen Johnson right now that we need is that we need him to get that point total of, I need him closer to 18 a game, realistically. Like, especially in a game where Trey was off tonight, only having 11 points, you need more from Jalen in that situation. Now, Jalen did not play a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. That's what I'm not trying to say that. But, like, it just felt like, you know, it felt like they could have maybe went to Jalen a little bit more in this game to try to, you know, and and, and to try to, you know, do something. Uh, like I said, DeJounte at 24 and 10 and 7, was flirting with a triple-double tonight. Like I said, Trey had one of his worst games of the season, one of his lowest point totals with 11 tonight, 4, 13 from the field, 2 of 6 from 3. And then Bay had a good game, 4 of 7 from, the, from 3 tonight, 18 points, 9 rebounds. And then obviously, um, you know, Clint Capella, he was, you know, Clint was Clint. He came back tonight, and this is about to start my next topic. And I think tonight, again, reminded a lot of people of why Clint Capella just isn't right for this team anymore. Especially coming off what we saw from Yeka Kong before he got hurt with his toe injury. It, 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 it just, Clint Capella just sticks out like a sore thumb within this system. And let, me, let me talk to you here about this, guys. Every team has a role. Every team, in regards to what the team wants to do, how they want to play, the scheme, the system they want to do, every player has particular roles. And certain players on certain teams will have different roles. Clint Capella's role in this team would be different on another team. And so the question is, is that role maximizing the player and also helping maximize the team as a full squad? Clearly within Quinn Snyder's offense, the center is very active within the offense. The center is also used as a connector within the offense. He is a guy who is very active with the ball. He will get it and set things up for guys. That is not Clint's strength. He is not a connector to me. He is a guy who I think, and I said this on Twitter, the best way to use Clint Capella at this point is he plays 15, 20 minutes. You tell him defense, rebounds, and defensive rebounds, pretty much for the most part, and just make you put backs. Play him in some spurts, and then that's all you get from him. He is a backup center to me at this point. In, in, in the way the NBA has changed in the center position, he is a backup point uh, center to me. And I think the Hawks need to embrace that sooner rather than later. 
Now, obviously, with Okongu out, it's obvious why Clint started tonight. But I would think after the showing you saw from Ayeka Okongu, you it, it's time to start him. Like, it, like, like he fits Quinn's system better than Clint does. Even Bruno, in some people's eyes, was the best center tonight, and he only played 11 minutes. And to me, that is a problem, <laughs> that you're paying him the money you're paying him, and, and yet your third center outplayed him. And so to me, the Hawks this offseason need to make the decision to either trade Clickapella or you need to put him to the bench and give him a reduced role. There is no other option. You cannot go with this. We're going to go with the same, you know, him at the start. Like you can't, it just, it doesn't, it legitimately does not make basketball sense to keep going with him. You have to put him in a specific role that works for him. And right now he cannot be your starting center because that's just not feasible in today's NBA with the way he plays. He just cannot be your starting center and you cannot lean on him. Even though he didn't play a lot tonight, even in the short time he played tonight, you could see the issues. Obviously, the big play of the game that you saw tonight was what in the first like five, six minutes, this man gets a, gets a, gets a rebound and airballs a putback. Not even touching rim. Like, what are we doing here? This this is why people are ready to get rid of Clint Capella because he it, it's just those types of things. It's like there was there was a stat I can't remember who tweeted it, but they talked about like it was like a field goal percentage in terms of baskets within a certain amount of feet, and Clint Capella was at the top in terms of putbacks. I think it was like a putback stat. He was at the top in, in, in terms of like putbacks, but he also had one of the worst field goal percentages. And so it's like, dude. Like, the way you play, you should be shooting close to 70% or 60%. 47% is unacceptable for you with what you're supposed to do. That's why it, it, it is time for a Yaka Akangu to, to be the guy. Like, it, it legitimately is. Like, like, he clearly fits what Quinn wants to do. And, and, and that just, and that ultimately is the big issue with this team in general as a roster is that what what I think the Hawks made a mistake in doing, they said, we're going to implement Quinn's system and hope that he can develop the guys to make it work within his system. Instead of saying, this is Quinn's system, let's make sure we get the guys to fit his system. That's why when you don't make a move to the trade deadline, it just, it, it, it glares, it just stands out. Because legitimately, it feels like there's no reason why you didn't make a move, or you shouldn't have. You know, it, it just it felt like, why are we not making a move here when it clearly there's there's some sore thumbs that stick out right now. If DeAndre Hunter plays the way he continues to play, I have absolutely no problem with him staying on the Hawks next year. If he does that, are you going to have an issue with that? If they said, hey, we're going to make DeAndre Hunter our like sixth man or something, regardless, I mean, we got to see how the roster changes, but. We're going to bring DeAndre Hunter off the bench, and this is the production you're getting from him? I don't think anybody's going to complain. The only thing people are going to complain about is that, well, we're paying a guy that much money to come off the bench. That's the only thing you're going to complain about. Outside of that, in terms of his actual basketball play, you're fine with it. You're not going to have an issue with it. You're not going to be you're not going to get mad at it. But guys like Clint, you're paying him. I think he has like a year 20 million left on the contract. And I'm like, there's no real justification 
as to why he he needs to stay on this on this team, especially if this team is so if this ownership is so scared of luxury tax. I don't understand why Clint Capella is not one of the first people you move out of here. Because I because here's the thing. When it comes to the roster construction, one of the biggest issues, and, and, and actually this brings me to this point. I watched the Dallas game last night, right? I watched them against Phoenix. Obviously, their backcourt is Luka and Kyrie. Both are not known as good defenders. Both are known as not really good defenders at all, right? They're, they're, they're known as guys who can try defensively, but they're not great defensively at all by any stretch. One thing Dallas has done with their roster this year, and they've continued that at the trade deadline, is that they have done a great job of putting the right pieces around those two. So even when you watch the Dallas Mavericks, their defense of, of liabilities in their guards do not stand out because they have wing defenders, three-point shooters, and bigs who can stretch or also create spacing. Daniel Gafford comes off the bench, and what do they ask him to do when he comes off the bench? Get rebounds, play defense, work in the pick and roll. He can, he can do that. He can excel at that role. You see how when people get particular roles and you get particular players and you construct it, it can work. One of the biggest issues that the Hawks have, and, and it's been a glaring hole all year, is that I know a lot of people are down on the DeJounte Trey pairing. But one of the things at the same time is the Hawks have not done a great job of putting the right players around them. You need to put wings and shooters. And then you need to give you, you basically kind of need stretch big, especially because DeJounte's game is predicated in going downhill offensively and getting to the rim. And then give me a true analysis of this backcourt works or not. They have not done a great job at all of doing that. They have given them one of the worst rosters to actually have with them as their backcourt. And yet then are trying to chalk it up and maybe say, maybe they're just not good together. And so I understand, like I said, why certain people are split on if we should break it up. Because if you said we're going to, if we're going to get, if we had a bunch of two ways and wings and, 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 and stretch bigs and things like that, then maybe this would look better because now it's like, okay, we have more people who can make up for what they do. They don't do well, but also can maximize what they do well. Like Trey Young, such a great playmaker. You give him a bunch of shooters, they're gonna get good looks. You give me, you give me spacing. My bigs can shoot threes. Dejounte is gonna have plenty of opportunities to get downhill and get to the rim and get in good, good looks. You got defenders. Now all of a sudden, now you got guys who can help switch versatility. Guys who can guard multiple positions across the end, and it works. You know, obviously the biggest issue with Dejounte, I've always said to me, has been he basically is your backup point guard and your starting two. So that's why they basically only run three guards. I mean, Garrison Matthews is technically a fourth, but they run him as a two-three, basically, which is, you know, yeah, <laughs> not not ideal. But, you know, and, and I've and I've said even before multiple times they need to go to four guards in the rotation. But you know, and and my connection here is Clint. Like people could use Clint, but at the same time, it depends on what you need from him. And he does not work. I, I, I think the thing is he does not work with what they want to do now. A Kongu fits it much, much better. Even Bruno fits it much, much better. And, and I think that is something that obviously when you get to the offseason as the Hawks, when they get to that point, because you are eight games under 500 right now, 
and it seems like you are destined to be a 10th seed. I I mean, you you will have a chance to catch Chicago, but I just, it, it seems like you will be ninth or 10th, and you will be playing for that 8th seed, and you will be playing to play the Boston Celtics again in the first round of the playoffs. But at the end of the day, this team seems like they're destined to be below 500. And if that's how this season ends, there is no way Landry Fields can look everybody in the eyes in those exit press conferences and say changes won't be made. He needs to go out and say changes will be made. He needs to say it. Quinn, like, like, like literally, it needs to be said. There, we do not need to hear the development thing. We do not need to hear... We're going to take a look at everything. You had a losing season. This team, as currently constructed, is a below 500 team. You have no other reason to not make a change. You have no other reason to not make changes. You know where you need to make your changes. Make them. Simple as that. Make them. And we'll see. Because, listen, I could say we we got we should play Kobe and them. And, listen, we'll see what the team looks like next year and how that maybe changes with those players. But I also understand everybody wanting them to go and, you know, play guys like Muhammad Gay, play guys like, you know, Kobe and Seth instead of putting them in the G League and everything like that, which I do also want to make a point on that. You know, because I, 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 I just I feel this way about the G League because a lot of people, the, the way we view the G League as a lot of fans view it, a lot of people think the G League is just a bunch of bumps. And so when we, and the thing is, there are so many teams that have their rookies down there playing and not on the main roster. And, you know, I, I, you know, I see Hawks fans all the time just talking about, oh my God, why are we letting this waste away in the G League? G League isn't helping anything. They're better than the G League. Why are they not playing and getting used to, you know, playing against the top guys? And yay. Listen, I understand that frustration. I, I have advocated for them playing and I still think they should play. But I will want to say this one thing. Uh, the G League actually can have a lot of benefit. Like, really. It can have a lot of benefit. I, I, I think we, we just, we like to crap on the G League because we just think it's a bunch of players who will never make the league, really. But we've also had players in this game who started in the G League and then got here. You know, at the end of the day, G, the G League did help Jalen Johnson, but I also think he stayed in the G League for too long because there is such a such thing as relieving him down there for too long. He should because he basically was there basically like first two years. I mean, he was only there the second year, but he wasn't even playing some of those games. It was just weird. But you know, the G League, you know, yeah, they're they're still running the Quinn system in G League. They're still coaching and trying to develop in G League. Like, they're still trying to help these players grow. So whenever they do get caught up, they're going to be ready to play. There are benefits to to Kobe and Seth playing down there. Like I said, these guys are playing 20, 25 minutes down there. They play on this roster. Realistically, they may only play like 5 to 10 minutes. So you may think that 5 to 10 minutes is beneficial because they're playing against the top NBA guys, but realistically, you know, the, how quick is the development going to go if they're barely playing, you know? How how can they get confidence, get the green light, get a rhythm if you're not playing a lot? 
at least in the G League, they have the ability to kind of run the show. Like Seth can kind of be a main playmaker and a main shooter. Kobe can be a main playmaker and a main shooter. It's putting them in situations that when they get to the main NBA level, they can say, hey, when he was made as the main point or the main playmaker, he did this. So he has the capability, you know, because you've got to think about they're playing against lesser competition. But remember, their teammates are not any better either. So they're playing with less talent against lesser talent. So now if they're able to excel in the G League in that situation, you call them up to the main roster. Now they're playing with more talent against better talent. And so you might be able to get the same result of not close to because the biggest thing realistically is if any of them play is do they have the green light from Quinn? Do they have the ability to just play the way they play in G League? Because you're playing with guys like Trey. Like think about Kobe's the main ball handler probably in G League if he's the starting point guard. He won't be like that in the main because Trey's the main point guard. And then next up is DeJounte. So he has to now learn how to play off ball. Like if you think about his appearance, because the Houston played off ball a lot because that that's his role when they're out there. In G League, he doesn't have to because he is the main person. Seth Lundy has to know how to play off ball. Now, Seth's role is different because he's a 3 and D guy to begin with. But, you know, he's a 3 and D player to begin with. But, you know, in the G League, it allows him to expand his game and do more. It allows him to play differently, be maybe the main ball handler. You're seeing him go like 6 to 8 from 3 in the first half. It allows him to be aggressive. When he gets to the main roster, he may not be able to get that green line, or he has to get the confidence to do that. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's it's putting them in positions and situations that allow them to grow in that role. Like even AJ, AJ had a great showing in, in College Park uh, yesterday, and people were excited and happy and da 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 da. And the thing about it is, is like, oh my God, he's shooting like that. Why can't Quinn see this works? Well, let's be honest here, folks. When AJ played this year, he hasn't been good. He did not play the way he played in College Park yesterday. Let's just be honest about it. He hasn't. So you, you have to understand, like, if that's the case, then what justification do you have to keep putting him out there if he's not playing well? What what, what G League can do for, for AJ is regain the confidence, get his stroke back, get him back in the system, get him more custom, and then whenever that time comes and they make this decision during the offseason, if they want to put him back into the rotation, now he's not coming back into the rotation cold, unconfident. He's coming in there. Hey, I've been hot balling in G League. I've been used like this. I've been able to show my skills. I feel good. I'm ready to contribute. Let me know what I need to do, coach. Boom. And so those are benefits of playing in the G League. Like I said, a lot of people don't see that because they think the G League is a bunch of bums and it don't help nobody, but it does. It's good for your rookies to go out there. There are certain teams that can allow their rookies to play on their main roster and give them that development. Because everybody says, throw the rookies out there, throw the rookies out there, go ahead and play them. And yes, there is beneficial. And like I said, let me preface this. I said it. Yes, I think at this point you should play Kobe. I think, you know, if you can find minutes for Seth, play Seth. But at the same time, I also understand they're not going to be playing 20, 25 minutes for us because that's just not how the roster is constructed right now. They have to be given the, the a position to be able to do that. So, you know, we have to think about that when we talk about the G League and what we want the team to be moving forward. So, overall, you know, we'll have to see what happens and what that looks like moving forward. But 
Hawks tonight, man. Three game losing streak now. 24 and 32. Eight games under 500. You play Orlando on Sunday in a much in a much very needed win. Hope Trey Young bounces back. I actually think overall the team played like I felt like the way the energy was, energy was there. You ain't played for nine days, you should have energy. I think there was a lot of good positive things that happened tonight. I just think some of the same with the same ugly issues that have reared his ugly head this season popped up again. The inability to get stops late. You're basically trading baskets. And since the other team is more capable of getting a stop than you can, that's what eventually ends up doing the Hawks in. And then, you know, they lose the game. So, and some late game execution problems. So, we're going to have to see what happens against Orlando on Sunday, man, and hope that Hawk can bounce back and get a win. So, I think that's about it for me, guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Believe in Hawks podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Bryce underscore 2K. Also, don't forget to subscribe and like the video. If you're listening to this on YouTube, if you're listening to audio, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, whatever, go ahead, leave a review, leave a rating on the, on the podcast. Really appreciate all the love you guys give me and everything under the sun. And like I said, guys, if you guys can have this with the Hawks on Sunday against the Magic. It's your boy, Bryce Lewis. See you next time.